can come on back in. How y'all doing today? Everybody, everybody warm enough? Yeah, we got some uh, Afghans and some blankets around here somewhere if somebody needs one, I'm sure. I don't know that that's true, but I'd like for it to be. Um, it's warmer in here than it is in the lobby, but uh, we're, we're, we're going into a new series today called It's Complicated. Say, It's Complicated. It's Complicated. That's what we're going into. We're talking about relationships this month. We're talking about, uh, we're talking about love and parenting and all that kind of stuff, and, and uh, before we get into it, if it's your first time here or your first time in a long time, we're really glad that you're here with us worshiping. That's great. We got a gift for you in the lobby, and uh, we've got a really cool app. All you got to do is open up the um, the thing you take photographs with. What's that called? Camera. Open up your camera on your phone and just take a picture of that QR code uh, on the back of the pew. And if you want to find out anything that's going on from our groups to the classes to outreach stuff to any kind of thing, uh, it's on the app. So I encourage you to, to take advantage of that. <clears throat> We're going to take the next several weeks and talk about relationships because relationships can be complicated. Relationships can be difficult. And we're going to look at relationships and different types of relationships through the lens of Scripture. And at the same time, as we're looking at Scripture, we're going to talk about real issues. We're going to talk about real things. We're going to talk about uh, what healthy boundaries look like in relationships. We're going to talk about parenting. On the last Sunday of this month, on February 26th, we're going to talk about human sexuality and FYI, PG-13 content that day, okay? Uh, we got fantastic children's ministries. If you don't want your children uh, to be, be listening to Nate talk about sex in the Bible, uh, however, if you've got a teenager, get them in here because it's going to be it's going to be good. Because it's not that we're getting into crude stuff; we're just getting into stuff that are re- that is real in relationships and in life. And today, <clears throat> we're going to talk about adulting. Say adulting, adulting in relationships. And I'm not. I'm not going into some kind of weird, you know, weird, weird terminology with adulting. Adulting is a big word in our in our world today. If you if you get online, you, you you'll see people posting memes and pictures and things saying like adulting is hard, or I didn't want to adult today, or uh, here's one of my favorites from the the old character Michael Scott. When your body naturally wakes you up at 8 a.m. on a weekend, why? <laughs> it's adulting. Uh, another one is this right here. Welcome to adulthood. You get mad when they re- rearrange the grocery store now. Can anybody testify? You're like, yes, I thought I thought the ketchup was over here on the right side, and now it's on an end cap. I don't understand why I know what an end cap is. You know. Uh, another one of my favorites is this right here. Adulthood is realizing other adults don't know what's going on either. 100%. 100%. Hundred percent. If you've you've found yourself going, I just can't adult today. This sermon might be for you. Uh, one of the most adulting things I have done recently happened uh, this past Christmas season. I organized all my son's Legos. I just want to take a minute. Okay, this is not holy. This is not sanctified. You can hire me if you need help. I am by the hour. It takes a really long time, but it'll look like that in the end. Pegboard, organization, there, there are labels. I don't know if you can see them. There are labels on each one of those things. It does still look like that. Thank you very much. Because the OCD organizer not only organized that, I organized the table where there is a bin just for Legos that need to go up. Don't you go putting those up by yourself until you know exactly how to put those up. 
Of course it is. And if you look in the bottom of that, those are large tubs of the same colors of Legos that are large. It's tens of thousands of Legos right there. I, like I said, I can be hired to do this for you. There's even a book out called Adulting. It was written by these guys, uh, Josh, Josh, Josh Burnett and Pete Hardesty. Adulting 101. Like, how do you change the oil in your car? Why do you need to change the oil in your car? What happens when you, have, when you come around to tax time? With income? Some of y'all need to buy this book because it's tax time and you've never really done your taxes. And adulting is hard and you're going to get in your 20s and you're going to learn, oh my gosh, if I don't file my tax thing, I'm going to get in trouble. Like, like there's, there's advice and wisdom for this. I don't know when it happened, but a long time ago, mentoring shifted to information, to what we can find online or on YouTube or on Twitter. Instead of, instead of our dads teaching us how to tie ties, we go to YouTube and we learn there because now all the dads are Gen X's and they don't wear ties. But adulting, when you think about your relationships, when you think about your close relationships, not only the romantic ones, but the ones with your family, the ones with those people who share the same blood and DNA as you. When you think of your friendships and your colleagues, the people that you see every single day. Some of us see some of the folks at work more than we see our own families. Some of us see our neighbors and our colleagues a whole, whole lot. And adulting can mean different things. Our text today, and really our text to guide us over the next four weeks, is going to come from a familiar passage. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's called the what chapter? The love chapter. It's called the love chapter. Like we read 1 Corinthians 13 at weddings and at funerals and in places where we talk about love because it says crazy, incredible things about love. Love is patient and kind. It's not haughty. It's not proud. It defines love in a great big way. And when you hear 1 Corinthians 13, you probably think, man, that, chapter was put in the Bible just for these ceremonies. I mean, that is the one that is the go-to. That in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. Like those are the go-to ones for a reason because it just unpacks love. But can I tell you when Paul, who's the guy that authored this book, when he wrote this chapter, he wasn't writing it for our weddings or for our ceremonies. I don't think he'd be upset that we were using it that way. I don't think we're misusing it, but he wrote this chapter in response to the previous chapter, in response to chapter 12, because that's how chapters and numbers work. First there's chapter 12, then there's chapter 13. You just got smarter, I know. He was writing this to a church. He was writing this to a church in Corinth that had been arguing and had been figuring some things out with faith. And so before we get to our text in 1 Corinthians 13, I, I want to give you the full picture of why Paul is writing this stuff. If you go to chapter 12, Paul unpacks all of, like, all of these things that you may have heard before, especially if you grew up in a Pentecostal or charismatic context. Things like spiritual gifts. Things like uh, he gets into varieties of gifts. Like there's all these different kind of gifts, but it's the same spirit that gives all the gifts is what he says. It's the same Lord. Lots of activities, but the same God. Wisdom, the gift of wisdom, the gift of knowledge. 
the gift of faith, to another gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another prophecy, to the other discernment of spirits. That one sounds really cool, by the way, discernment of spirits. Like you can discern the spirits. Like I don't know what all that entails, but like it's a gift of the Holy Spirit where you can discern the spirits. I needed that gift when I was in college, especially. Like I needed discernment. He goes into all of these things and then he talks about various kinds of tongues. And then the interpretation of tongues. He says things like, like the, the body, the church, is like the human body. It's one body, but it has lots of different parts, fingers and toes and brains and nose and ears and all these things. And then he talks about the hidden, noble parts of the body. I'll let your imaginations roam wild with that one. He talks about like the body has this one function and the hand can't say to the foot you're not needed and the foot can't say to the, you know, all these things. And he brings up all, he goes to excruciating detail about talking about all this stuff that especially Pentecostals thinks is so sexy. All of this stuff about the gifts and the body and all that, like he goes into it and he makes this case over and over on how the church should operate. And then to end all of this exciting discussion, here's what he says in the last verse of chapter 12. But strive for the greater gifts and I will show you a still more excellent way. Excuse me? Paul has just unpacked all of these gifts, talked about how they function, talked about how the body works together, talked about how the Christian life, the church of Jesus, functions with this one thing, this one spirit, this one Lord, this one God, this one Jesus. It functions in lots of different ways. And he comes around, and, and, and after this entire chapter, he goes, kind of like Steve Jobs used to do at the Apple events. Okay, all that's great, but let me show you one more thing. And it ends up being the most important thing. It ends up being like years and years ago, Apple was sharing all this stuff, and then they, boom, released the iPhone on people, and it blew their minds. And Paul unpacks all of this stuff, and he ends it with this, I'm, I'm going to show you something better. I'm going to show you a more excellent way. And then 1 Corinthians 13 starts. And the more excellent way that he is showing is love. He says things like, if I could speak in tongues of men and angels, but I have not love, I'm a clanging gong, I'm a noisy cymbal. He says things like, love never fails, love goes on and on, love, 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 love. And then in verse 8, he goes right here, he says, love never ends, but as for prophecies. Now, he's going to start talking about all the stuff he talked about in the previous chapter. But as for prophecies, they will come to, what does that say? They will come to what? An end. As for tongues, they will what? As for knowledge, it will, knowledge will come to an end. And he says this in verse 9. This is so important. For we know only in part. We don't know the whole story. When we prophesy, we prophesy in part. But when the complete comes, the partial will come to an end. 
what he is saying over and over in 1 Corinthians 13 is that love is the complete thing. Love has no mystery to it as to whether it will end or not, for love will never end. This love that he's talking about. He's saying everything there in chapter 12 is going to come to an end. Some of you are like double-checking your Bibles, and you're like, is this right? Because like I heard all my life, like the gifts, the gifts, the gifts, the gifts. And now Paul is saying what the great theologians of the 60s and 70s, known as the Beatles, said. All you need is love. (laughs) I don't know that he's saying all you need is love. I do think that what he's saying here is that love, love is the more excellent thing. And it shows you the whole picture. The love of God, the, what Paul calls the agape love. And we'll get into that here in a minute. He writes in great detail about what this love is, about how this love is everlasting. And he makes a point in, in his, his whole metaphor. He makes a point with adults and children. And that's why adulting. I'm not going to stand up here and unpack scripture telling you what you should be doing as an adult rather than than living as a lazy child. I'm not going to stand up here giving you like bullet points of of what scripture says on what it's like to grow up and have a mature faith. What I'm going to do is I'm going to point to this metaphor that Paul uses in 1 Corinthians 13 Because I believe what he is showing his church there and therefore what we can interpret and we can embody as the church of Jesus is that love is the foundation for everything in the Christian life. Verse 11 says this. Here's the metaphor. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. I'm really glad that I'm not sitting beside my wife right now because she would elbow me and say, see? You're not a child anymore. Because all of us dudes that are married, we, we still got like a 13-year-old in this body that just wants to go like see what will happen if we light something on fire. You know? We just all got it. We just all have it. And I don't know that we'll ever get rid of that. But Paul is using this metaphor. When I was a child, that's the way I talked. That's the way I thought. That's the way I figured things out. That's the way I reasoned. When I became an adult, I put an end to childish ways. Now, Paul, in this, in this metaphor, is not, like, talking down to those of us that like to, you know, wrap fireworks around something to see if it'll blow it up. He's not talking to that. To that. He's talking to the church about their understanding of their faith and how they live it out. And he's saying that children don't see things in full. Children reason differently than adults reason. And Paul uses this metaphor to drive home this statement that love is the foundation for everything in the Christian life. It's the filter for how we see the world, everything we do, everything we are. So let's talk about love. Let's unpack love. Let's talk about love. There's different kinds of love. I love football. I also love my wife. I love my kids. You know what I love to do? I love to go down to DNM Packing and try to find the best cuts of ribeye. From from he lets me actually go back and look at it with him now. And I, I like to get ribeye. I like the I like the seasoned ribeye and smoke it for hours, so that I can just pull it. Up. Yeah, some of you are like glory. Like that's the first Holy Spirit chill bump some of y'all felt all morning. 
talking about ribeyes. I love it. I love, I love Carolina even when they lose. Some of y'all wondered whether I was going to say it. I love them even when they lose. I still love it when Duke loses. I still love that I've got that picture of Mike Krzyzewski crying on the last games because he lost them. Boo freaking who. When Paul talks about love, what's he talking about? Is he talking about the love I have for ribeyes or for Carolina or my wife or my kids? What kind of love is Paul talking about? And when I look back at scripture here, he, he, he basically defines it all in those like first eight or nine verses. He says, love is patient. It's, it's a list. Love is patient and kind. Love is not envious. It, it's not envious. It's not envious. It's not envious. Love's not envious. You know what not envious means? It means that I don't want something you have. It means that I'm not jealous of you. Love is not rude. I think we need not rude on there like 15 times. Love is not rude. And maybe you don't, but maybe I do. Because, I, I, man, I can be rude. But not most of y'all. Y'all are never rude. Love doesn't insist on its own way. Love doesn't say things like my way or the highway. <laughs> Love is not irritable. Excuse me? I've been irritable four times while I've been preaching. I'm not going to tell you who I've been looking at. Love is not irritable. Love is not resentful. Love bears all things. Love takes it. Love believes all things. Now, what does that mean? Like, love believes in stupid things? No, Paul's not speaking surface-level things here. He's speaking like, Love believes, love believes in the good of humanity only because of Jesus Christ. Love believes, what was it that you said earlier, Bo? You said that freedom and what? And glory. Is coming. Love believes. Love hopes, love, love endures, love never ends. Like this definition right here is like super love supreme that I don't think any of us can ever attain. This is a crazy kind of love right here. Like I love my wife and I know she loves me, but um, that whole irritable thing? Really? That whole that whole insist on its own way kind of thing. Listen, there is only one way that God ordained for us to fold denim wear, and I know it. This, this is a crazy kind of love right here. And Paul says, this love is the greatest thing. It's greater than all the prophecies. It's greater than all the tongues. It's greater than all, all the miracles of healing. We just had Erica up here talking about her cancer treatment, talking about these, these cancer kits that we're packing out. We just praise God for, for an incredible report. And Paul is saying, that's great. Love is greater. I don't know, gang. That like like Does anybody else just kind of like go, Really? Because I feel like if the healings would happen, more people would care. Really? Because I feel like, you know, if, 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 if love is the greatest thing. 
And he uses this word in, the, in, in that original language, and some of you may have heard of this before. It's called agape, A-G-A-P-E. The literal meaning of that Greek word is a love feast, a feast of love. Think about it, a feast of love, like a never-ending feast, and I love food. This is such an appropriate definition because, like, I got it. A feast of love, never-ending love, a super and supranatural. What does it mean? Supernatural is the stuff that God does. Supernatural is the stuff that we have no physical way of, like, doing that. Like, it's past our natural abilities. A metaphysical, beyond our physical kind of love. It's saying that when it comes to love, the greatest expression is not coitus or sex or emotional connection. The greatest expression is this. And that flies directly in the face of every love song I've ever heard. Because every love song I've ever heard has a specific definition of love. And most of them have to do about physical attraction and sex and all that like most of the love songs like like they can have pretty lyrics and all this stuff but we all know that 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 like like love songs is marvin Gaye told us is leading up to the hibbity dibbity it's leading up to where it's going to go like all this stuff has an end game and paul is saying now faith hope and love abide these three these are the three things that last he says in verse 13 and the greatest of all of these is love. So let's get practical. When I, when, I, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became an adult, I put away childish things. I put an end to childish things. When Paul is using this metaphor in this way, in this chapter, with this definition of love, what is he saying? He's telling the Corinthian church that they had some growing up to do in their faith. He's telling the Corinthian church, you're pursuing all of these good things, spiritual gifts, revival, the purging of sin, giving, right doctrine, all the things churches have continued to do for thousands of years. They're good things. Paul is saying, those things are good, but you're seeing things like a child without love at the foundation. You're seeing things incomplete without this agape love driving you every conversation. You can have your theology right and dead on. You can have the right thoughts. You can have the answers to all the questions about abortion and gay marriage and politics and whatever you want to come up with. But if it is not rooted in the foundation of love, you're acting like a child. Think about it. Think about it. What good is having all the right information and the right theology and the right doctrine if I don't lord it over people? If I don't make people feel bad for them not knowing something that I know better than them? Jesus said it is your love. He said, blessed, blessed are the pure in heart. When he was doing the whole Beatitudes thing. Blessed are the pure in heart. Why? For they will see God. He didn't say, blessed are the Theobros, or the, or the doctrinal gurus, or the people who get everything right. He said, blessed are you when your heart's pure. You're blessed when you operate and you just submit yourself to the love of Christ over and over and over. How about you? How about all of us? 
when it comes to this kind of love. I believe this applies to us as well as the Corinthians church, this metaphor. Don't be like a child. A childish manner never sees the fullness of God. There's this question that, 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 that I've, I've, I've asked over and over. God, I, I, I see all this injustice. I see these problems. I see the way people treat me. I see the way that I'm ignored. I see the way that sometimes this probably has never happened to anyone in this church. But I've seen how I have gone to church before and I have felt ignored. I've seen how I have walked in the doors and seen people my age and seen people like with, with my, the same place in life and they, they don't even know that I'm there. Now, now that I'm the pastor, that's a little more difficult. But man, when I visit churches, I love sitting along the back walls and just watching because people there don't know me. But when I'm in my church, people know me. Gosh, I pray that when you're in the church of Jesus, you're known. I pray that in the church of Jesus, the foundation for everything is agape. And it isn't this comparison game that we tend to play with each other as human beings. How about you? Paul says that children act and think and reason like children. And they don't see things completely. I started thinking about that, and it makes, makes a lot of sense to me. If you, if you bring a child in, a 10-year-old child, and you give that child a choice between a penny that will double every day for 30 days, or we can leave right now with all your friends and family and anybody you want, and we can go to Disney World for a week, every perk you can imagine we'll stay at the Polynesian we'll stay at the wilderness we'll stay wherever you want to stay we'll stay in Cinderella's castle we'll do that for a week what is that child going to pick what are you going to pick raise your hand if you're picking Disney raise your hand if you're picking the penny that doubles every day for 30 days now, now you know why there are more hands raised for the penny because after 30 days, that's over $5.3 million that just accumulates. You know how much that trip to Disney for a week is with all the perks? It might be 50 grand. With the airfare, with the, and, and some of you are like, oh, I, I can get it going more. Okay. $5 million one week versus $5 million that you retire on? Help the world with? Children hear, hear that, and we, children usually pick the most immediate thing. That's what they do. Because they don't reason like adults. And when Paul is talking about relationships, and we have to start here when we're talking about relationships, we have to talk about adulting. We have to talk about seeing things wholly and fully. Agape says this is what adulting in faith looks like. This is what grown-up, full-measure faith looks like it looks like patient and kind it looks like not envious it looks like not rude it looks like not prideful not boastful it looks like never ending it looks like not giving up it looks like believing in it looks like believing in hope and you can have the right theology and the right answers but if, if you're not grounded here you've got a lot of growing up to do 
and you're never going to get it all right. That's why the Holy Spirit, because we can't do this on our own as humans. We've got to have supernatural help. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. We've got to have it. Because without the power of the Holy Spirit driving our love, you know what's going to happen? All the calamity that we see, all of it, all the families that break up, all of the condescending condemnation, all of the us versus them dynamics. I've heard people say recently, I don't think our country's ever been in this bad of a place before. What's driving that? Politics. Nah. People. People are driving that. How are we as the church, gang? What does agape look like? As we walk out of these doors and we walk into our workplaces and our schools and, and our social uh, places and our restaurants, and as we walk into our homes and we walk into our marriages, what does agape look like for us? What does agape look like in your marriage? What does it look like in your parenting? What does it look like in your workplace or in your family? I want to close with a story, and I've used it before. I don't know if I've used it here, but it's one of the favorite stories. And our, our worship team can come up because we want to pray soon and, and test out this agape thing over lunch. I have a buddy, um, gosh, about 20 years ago now, my buddy, I'll call him Caleb because that's his name. <laughs> Caleb worked at a coffee shop. He worked at a Starbucks. He was a college student. And Caleb, I don't know if he was an assistant manager or a key holder or whatever, but he was a part of our, we had a college and, and young adult group that, that met, and Caleb was on our leadership team, and Caleb was goofy. I mean, Caleb was one of these guys that, like, it didn't matter if you didn't want a hug. He was going to give you a bear hug, and he would find out later if you didn't want it. And then he would try to convince you why you're wrong kind of guy. Like, you got to take the bear hug. you got to take it. You're like, well, Caleb, uh, I'm in a full-body cast. It's okay. I'm going to hug you anyway, you know. It's kind of like how Caleb was. He was just this big he – was, he was like a big – I love him. But he was kind of like a big dumb dog that just would come up and love on you all the time. And y'all, y'all know, there's a couple of y'all here. I won't look at you, but there's a couple of y'all here. You're just like big old loving animals. I'll just come up and throw yourself on people. And Caleb worked at this coffee shop, and he had a manager. And the manager knew that Caleb went to church. The man, manager's gay. The manager knew that Caleb went to church, and the manager had sworn off church a long time ago because he knew how church people were. See, the manager had been to a church, and he had been told certain things, and he had basically um, learned that he wasn't welcome there. He was welcome there if he decided to change. That's when he would be welcome. And this manager knew that Caleb went to church. And Caleb was just this social butterfly. Like, he would have people over to his house all the time. He would invite everybody over. And there were some of these other church people from the same church that worked there at that coffee shop. And... They would, con- they would go over to his house and everything. And he would always invite this manager and say, hey, why don't you come, why don't you come? Uh, maybe next time. The manager was always polite, but he would always decline. And there was this one afternoon where the manager and Caleb were taking out the trash. And the manager said, look, I know we're not supposed to talk about, like, religion 
or sexuality or, or romance or anything like that because there's some pretty strict HR rules where they work. He said, but I just got to ask you a question. He said, Caleb, you, you know, you know I'm not like you. You know I'm not like the people at your church. Why do you keep inviting me over? You know I'm not going to get along with those folks. You know, you know that like we're just not the same crowd. And Caleb, being Caleb, just cracked up laughing, and he goes, oh, bro, because I loves you. And he gives him this big, inappropriate hug, you know, email HR, whatever, you know. He goes, no, 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 for real. He goes, there's, there's something about you that, like, I believe you. And Caleb said something that's one of the most profound things that has stuck with me since I heard him say it. And it had to be the Holy Spirit speaking through him. He said, oh, you don't understand. I don't love you because of who you are. I love you because of who I am. I love you because of the love that's in me for the people around me and in my life. You've got to come over to the house and hang out because you're in my life. And I care about you and I love you. It's not because I think you're good enough or that you'll get along with people or what. I know some of those people at church. You ain't going to get along with them. But I love you. It taught me something when I heard that. In order to really live in that kind of love, there's a proximity that's needed. You can't love anyone from a distance with close love real like this kind of love that we've talked about you can't you can't do it at arm's length you have to be you have to invite people into your world it's i think it's one of the reasons why when jesus was on this earth the religious people just identified him as a drunkard and a glutton because he welcomed those people into his life are you saying jesus was fat and jesus was slovenly and that jesus walked around you know you know, fail in breathalyzer tests? No, that's not what I believe. I believe that Jesus welcomed people who were not like him into his life. And I thank God to this day that Jesus has never loved me from a distance. That he's never loved me at arm's length. That he's never said, when you fix that or when you figure that out, then, then, then. No, no, no. He says, all who are weary and heavy burdened. He says, blessed are you who are poor in spirit. Blessed are you who are crying and mourning. He says, I love you not because of what you've done or who you are. I love you because of who I am. And this Jesus does not love us at, at arm's length. He loves us. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit is like a breath. He's closer than our skin. What do we say? What's the popular saying for when we decide to follow Jesus? We invite him into what? Our hearts. To identify closeness, he gave us a meal, the communion meal that we had today. This is my body. This is my blood. Put it in you. You know what? We Christians sometimes get things mixed up. And I want to encourage you. You don't have to go out and search for somebody to love and to be kind to. 
You don't have to go to another country to discover what love means in missions or what it means to be a Christian. You don't have to go outside of this area. What you do have is you don't have to search for somebody to invite, to love with God's love. Look around the room. They're sitting in proximity close to you. Think about your office. Think about the PTA. Think about your kids' basketball team and some of the parents that you judge in your mind, but you would never say it out loud. What would happen if you invited them in? If you said, you know what? The mess is the mess, but the love is the love. And I'm searching for the greater things here. I'm searching for the completeness of love. These people live beside you. They walk beside you. They're in your peripheral every day. This is what adulting means for the Christian life. Not that we have arrived or we have figured out something and we know what it takes to get there. No. Loving like this takes more than we could ever give. Over and over again. Generosity, not just with money but with our very lives. Amen. You stand with me. I want to pray for you. A couple of prayers. With heads bowed, eyes closed. I want to pray over a lot of us today who just desire to be complete in the love of Jesus to lean into this agape, this supernatural love, to be identified with the makings of the Messiah. Confess you and you say, hey, Nate, yeah, include me in that. I I want to be complete in the love of Jesus. If that's you, raise your hand. All across the room, yeah, 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 yeah. In the name of Jesus, with your hand raised, with your palm facing towards heaven, I pray the blood of Jesus and the love of Jesus would wash over you like a waterfall that just falls down a thousand foot onto rocks and it would splash everywhere I pray that the love of Jesus this agape love, this never ending love this love that's not rude and not proud and not boastful I pray that this stuff I pray that you would be so attracted to the ways of Jesus that it disrupts how you think all the time how you feel, how you act how you work Now there's some folks here in the room, would you put your hands down? There's some folks in the room who you are not complete because you have not submitted to the love of Jesus. And you're like, you know what, Nate, I need to make things right with him. If that's you, raise your hand with me all across the room. Nate, I need to be made right before Jesus. Thank you, gotcha. Anybody else? Nate, pray for me. I need to get things right with Jesus. All across this room. We're going to pray a prayer together in the name of Jesus. If it's just for this one, praise God. But in the name of Jesus, pray it with me. Dear Jesus, you died for me. I will live for you. I believe you died. I believe you rose from the dead. I want to follow you all my life. I want to serve you. I want to love like you. And I want to know you more.